Well, good morning. As Jake said, my name is Jake. Uh, we are planting a church in East Vancouver called Christ City East Vancouver uh, in the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood. Uh, that's where me and my family live. Uh, to be clear, uh, it's a bunch of really good people planting a church. Uh, if any of you have been involved in church planting or been a part of Tri-City in, in the early days, you know uh, that it's very much a team sport. And so we're, we're uh, grateful to God for all the people he's brought along, including you and the ways that you have prayed for us and supported us. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it, is, it is my joy to be with you this morning. Uh, this morning, we are continuing uh, our time through the, the, the book of Proverbs. Uh, and this morning, we're going to look at what it means specifically uh, to live as the righteous or the wicked. Uh, the righteous or the wicked. Now, as you've been encountering Proverbs throughout the summer, perhaps you've noticed this, that at times it can present life, uh, contrary to how we like to think of it, uh, as quite binary, right? Uh, choose this path, life. Uh, choose this path, uh, death. Uh, Solomon began Proverbs by saying, you know, over here is the house of Lady Wisdom. All good things come from that house. Over here is the house of, of Lady Folly, who, who, who's the, the seductress uh, promising easy money, easy sex, and, and, and all bad things come, come from this house. Proverbs presents life as, as binary. We can choose one of, of, of two roads, one of, of two ways. And it's not just righteousness and wickedness. We've seen that there's wise, there's foolish speech. Uh, There's the proud, there's the humble. Uh, In in working, there's the diligent and there's the sluggard. Now, Proverbs is so helpful in not only painting for us a a positive vision or a positive example of how we ought to walk, but also warning us uh, graciously, mercifully of what happens to us if we do walk in that, that other path, that other way. Uh, this morning, then, we will be served not only to see uh, the righteous path in view of the wicked one, but to see the wicked path in view of the righteous one. Now, if you were to, and you don't have to do this right now, but if you were to Google uh, righteousness uh, on your phones, on your laptops, wherever you, you use the Google, uh, uh, something would come up along the lines of, of being in the right. That'd be the definition that Google would offer you, being uh, in the right. When we think about modern cultural righteousness, what, what do we think about? Well, the first thing we should acknowledge is that modern cultural righteousness is both easy to obtain, just being the right about the right things, but at the same time, always changing, always fluctuating. Isn't that true? Uh, we can think of the celebrity who one week uh, endorses vegetarianism as like the way to go. Like if you want to be in, you be a vegetarian. Uh, next week, we, we discover that actually vegetarianism is actually terrible to the vegetables. And what we really should do uh, is some sort of veganism in which we eat like these cubes of, of some sort of chemically produced things, right? It, it, the standard of righteousness in our culture, can't we acknowledge this, is always changing. Uh, you have to be in the right about the right things, but also at the right time. It, it's frustrating at times. I know I have at times found that frustrating, Consider, in view of this, uh, cultural wickedness is anything, anything at all, that does not keep pace with our cultural righteousness. We're not uh, about the right things or at the right time. And we know this. There is no guarantee that what is considered righteous today in the worlds of business, in the worlds of sex, uh, wherever we find ourselves, there's no guarantee that that will be righteous tomorrow or be right tomorrow. See, these fluctuating and ever-changing definitions of righteousness and wickedness that we encounter on a daily basis uh, could not be more different uh, than the definitions and standards of righteousness and wickedness that we encounter uh, in Proverbs. So the question you should be asking was, well, what are those? What are those? 
the first thing we should note, and this will be helpful for us, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know your Bible, you know that in the New Testament, uh, guys like Paul use the term righteousness to refer to someone's right standing before God. But that is not how Solomon and the other authors of Proverbs use the term righteousness. Rather, they're not thinking vertically, us to God. Rather, they're thinking horizontally, us to other people. Uh, The authors of Proverbs, when they talk about righteousness, are talking about our right relatedness to the community. Our right relatedness to one another. Uh, Bruce Waltke He's a local biblical scholar. Uh, He wrote the definitive commentary uh, on Proverbs. And if I say anything wise this morning, I'm basically ripping off in some way, shape, or fashion Bruce Waltke. Uh, Bruce Waltke, he defines righteousness and wickedness in Proverbs like this. And it's going to be behind me on the screen. This will be really helpful for us. He says this, The wicked in Proverbs are those who advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. That's who the wicked are. But the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. I want to read it again. It's important. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. So for example, Proverbs 21, 25 to 26, it says this, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves. See the wicked there. Craving, craving, more, more, more. I don't care who that affects. I don't care who that impacts. More, more, more craves and craves. Now look at this. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. The righteous person gives of themselves, of their time, of their money in such a way that it hurts them. It disadvantages them in order to advantage the the other. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Not only does the righteous give, but they are well acquainted with the poor in their midst. Uh, they disadvantage their social reputation, if you will, in order to advantage their poor brother or sister or their, their neighbor. They call friends those who are well below their class. See, unlike, and here's the key, uh, unlike the ever-changing standard of righteousness that you and I encounter all the time, the standard of communal engagement remains the same for the person who fears the Lord. See, Proverbs envisions this this group of Yahweh-fearing people, this group of God-fearing people who believe that God says what He means and means what He says, right? Greatly impacting the places they find themselves in righteousness. In in contrast to this, the wicked uh, destroy it. The righteous are our beautiful part of that community, but the wicked are our plague on society. They do nothing but, but hinder it. Listen to Waltke once again. The inspired sage's conception of righteousness is socially transformative. It transforms the city of man into the city of God, from a culture that is metaphorically red, dripping with blood, to a culture that is green with life. And so here's how we're going to approach the topic of righteousness and wickedness this morning. The first is this. We're going to talk about moving towards a God-centered righteousness and see what exactly that means. The second thing is we'll see what it means to move away from a man-centered wickedness before thirdly and finally arriving at the person and work of Jesus. So Tri-City, are you with me? No, not at all. (laughs) Towards a God-centered righteousness, away from a man-centered wickedness before finally and thirdly arriving at the person and work of Jesus. Ready? Let's go. First, moving towards a God-centered righteousness. 
Now, I don't know if you guys have covered this already, so if you have, just ignore me for like a few seconds at least. But in Proverbs, the righteous person and the wise person are actually the same person. They're the same person. It's two sides of the same coin. So wisdom, we've seen so far, is intellect, is this knowledge game. But it's not just like a download of information. It's actually internalizing that information and skillfully spitting it out. And that spitting it out, that living it out, is what Proverbs calls righteousness. So we have wisdom, this internalized, skillful living, and we have righteousness, this living out of this wisdom in Proverbs. In Proverbs, this is the same person. It's the same person. There's an inseparable connection here, we should see this, between what we think and what we do. Between what we think and what we do. A wise person will always live righteously if they're truly wise. And a righteous person, if they're truly righteous, will always think wisely. Look at Proverbs 2, verses 6 to 9 to see this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And look at verse 9. Then, in view of this, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Notice. Our theological education, what we believe about God, is intended to inform and shape and motivate our ethical education, the things that we do with our life. It is only when we've received the wisdom that only God can give. Right? Verse 6 of chapter 2, For the Lord gives wisdom that you and I from there can then understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. See, I say all this because I doubt, I doubt there is someone here today, regardless of what your beliefs are or how you come to us this morning, I doubt there is anybody here who would be offended by the idea that it is a good thing to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage another person. That is not an offensive idea. Right? We're all for that idea. In fact, this culture, this society was built off of the backs of people who disadvantaged themselves in order to advantage future generations. We all like that idea. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're not interested in just any sort of disadvantaging, in just any sort of giving of ourselves. We are to disadvantage ourselves according to the wisdom that God gives, according to our prior theological commitments. So for instance, we act righteously as followers of Jesus when we move out of our bedroom to house a recently homeless teenager who just had an abortion. We do not act righteously when we give up our Saturday mornings to go volunteer at the clinic that provided it. We act righteously when we forego our family vacation to Disneyland in order to pay for the school fees of that orphan halfway across the world. We act righteously in that situation. We do not act righteously when we take those funds and allocate them to an organization that's committed to promoting an unbiblical sexual ethic. Righteousness looks like a particular way, like a particular thing. And if we are to move towards a God-centered righteousness, we need to begin this morning by acknowledging that this is also a God-defined righteousness, that he defines it. Again, it's not just any disadvantaging that we are after, It's disadvantaging done under the authority of God. And what he's said is truly good and truly wise, 
truly beautiful and truly praiseworthy. And as we act righteously according to his wisdom, Proverbs tells us, this is the good news, not only will this lead to flourishing and wholeness in the communities that we find ourselves, but but here's the good news, it will also lead to greater intimacy in our own relationship with the Lord. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 9 with me. Solomon writes, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. So here's how this works. If we're to synthesize what we've seen so far in all of Proverbs, here's how this works. We begin with the fear of the Lord. We believe that God is who he says he is, and he means what he says and says what he means. We begin with the fear of the Lord. From there, we acquire wisdom, this internalized, skillful living as those who fear the Lord. We act out of this wisdom through righteous living, where we disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage the other. And as we do this, as we live righteously, as we disadvantage and give of ourselves and trust that even though this is hard and painful and costly and great against our consumer mentality, we come, as we do these acts, not only to know about the Lord intellectually, but to truly know him and experience him, and enjoy him. So for example, it is one thing, Tri-City, to read and intellectually ascend to the idea that, as Proverbs 10 verse 3 says, that the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. It is one thing to intellectually ascend to that proverb. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. It is quite another thing uh, to empty our bank accounts in order to provide for the neighbor next door who cannot provide for themselves and then trust that Proverbs 10 verse 3 is true. The one person knows about God like a celebrity we read about online, right? Like someone's Instagram profile that that we follow. We know about them and, and facts and information about them. The other knows God like a loving and present father upon whom they are deeply dependent upon. And the key, the key to making that switch, the key to making that switch in our hearts, in our lives, from knowing about God and truly knowing God, are these faith-filled acts of of, of righteousness. And so here's a question, and I can ask it, because I can ask it and I can leave, and, and you can hate me later. But here's a question. Maybe we don't know God, like know God, because we never put ourselves in situations where he has to show up. Because we never truly disadvantage ourselves. Like, let's face it, we are rich. I'm not talking about just in Christ, but in reality, we are rich. If you're here this morning in the top, you know, whatever, like 1% to 2% in the world, we are rich and wealthy. What disadvantaging do we have? We, we have it all, don't we? We seek out acts of righteousness that are advantageous for both us and the other. We want win-wins, right? We like win-wins. As we move towards a God-centered righteousness, not only do we increasingly let him determine what that means, he defines it, but we also find that our intimacy with him only increases, only deepens. And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering how to go deeper in your walk with God, uh, create opportunities where he needs to meet a need, where you have given so generously and so sacrificially and have poured out yourself so much that he needs to meet you in that, otherwise you couldn't go on. Of course, moving towards a God-centered righteousness implies 
that you and I are also moving away from something. And that something that we're moving away from is this man-centered wickedness. Remember, we said this. The wicked are those who advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. The wicked are those who advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. If your motivation is self, Self-gain, self-glory, self-promotion, me, my interests, my family's deal. Then we've missed proverbial righteousness and we have entered, according to the book of Proverbs, into the realm of wickedness. Into the realm of wickedness. And now a conception of wickedness like this goes well beyond our culturally understood or culturally held conceptions of wickedness, doesn't it? Like if I say wicked to you and think of a wicked person, who, who do you think of? Like Hitler? right? Perhaps uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire recently arrested for, for sex trafficking, recently found dead in prison, right? We think of those people, we think, yeah, those people are wicked. Think of evil, wicked corporations or evil and wicked totalitarian governments. Those are our ideas in our head about, about wickedness. But in Proverbs, the wickedness is more specific. As Waltke writes, it refers to the finer points. Listen to what he says. Most English speakers, I suspect, when they think of wickedness, think in terms of the Ten Commandments. For most, uh, wickedness refers to murder, adultery, stealing, and lying. But in Proverbs, wickedness uh, pertains to the finer points of not feeding the poor when you have the power to do so, of not honoring the honorable, of not stopping gossip in its track, and, and so forth. See, viewing wickedness in this way, in the way of finer points, it can be overwhelming. And it should be overwhelming. Let me give you a brief sampling of this wickedness that Waltke describes in Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-nine: A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. Bluffing. A bold front. Perhaps over-promising the potential of a given product you're trying to sell. Like, I swear this essential oil can cure cancer, right? Wickedness. It's advantaging yourself to disadvantage the other. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Like, is anyone really hurt if I leave work at, at 3 p.m. but write 4 p.m. on my time card? Really? And Proverbs tells us, in disadvantaging your employer to advantage your weekend, this is wickedness. Proverbs 12.10 says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Having received mercy, does this lead to the merciful treatment of all things, man and animal? Like, it's overwhelming. When we start brushing this, this fine-tooth comb over our lives, it's uncomfortable for us. What Proverbs is teaching us and what it's showing us is that our problem goes deeper than, than the surface. It goes all the way down to our hearts and our motives and our desires. You and I need new hearts and new motives and, and new desires. That's why Solomon writes in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, growing up, I heard this verse was about uh, not dating too young, uh, which I guess maybe could work there. But really, really, it's about what matters when it comes to righteousness and wickedness, our hearts. 
And if we're really honest, again, however you come this morning, that's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. Because the reality of my life, at least, and I don't know many of you, is that when I peel back the layers of my motives, start examining my, my, my heart, more often than not, my actions are driven by self-advantage and not the advantaging of others. In fact, I would say almost all the time my actions are driven in this way. Thou shall not murder. Thankfully for you, I, I've got it covered, right? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> but, but, but thou shall love thy neighbor. Thou shall what? Uh, honor the honorable. Thou shall stop gossip in its track. Thou shall feed the poor when you have the power to do so. Like it's cringeworthy. It's intended to make us uncomfortable. And, and just a note here, if you're like, I'm actually not that bad. Like, I don't know who you are, guest speaker guy, but like, I'm actually not that bad. Like, to be clear about this, Solomon, the guy who wrote the book of Proverbs, he couldn't live up to the standard of righteousness. Even he failed to do that. Which is bad news for us, considering Proverbs 2, 21 to 22 says this, For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. And look at this, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Our destiny, and my destiny, and your destiny, is among those who are cut off or rooted out unless we come to Jesus. See, Jesus agreed with, with Solomon. Jesus, like Solomon, thinks the key here is our hearts being made new. Uh, in Matthew fifteen eighteen, Jesus said this, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this, this, this is what proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. And later he'll say in the same gospel, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, but Jesus does what Solomon cannot. Jesus does not just diagnose the problem. He doesn't just shine a flashlight in the attic of our lives and go, ooh, that's ugly. No, Jesus comes again and does what Solomon cannot. Jesus comes and gives us a, a, a new heart. Jesus lives out the wisdom and righteousness that Solomon only knew in, in part. He, he lives this out by disadvantaging himself for the advantage of all who would believe in him. In the greatest and truest act of righteousness, true righteousness that this world has ever seen, Jesus goes to the cross, gives up his life so that we might have eternal life. As you will learn in Galatians, Jesus takes the curse of sin and death in our place. Whereas our head was on the chopping block before, Jesus removes our head and puts his head there instead. He becomes a curse on our behalf. Jesus becomes poor, we're told in Ephesians, that we might become rich. We're also told in Ephesians that in Jesus, united to him, we have every spiritual blessing because of the sacrifice of Christ. We need to see this because Jesus gives his life. Not only is our sin paid for, and not only do we have every spiritual blessing, but all this is possible because ultimately what has happened in the cosmic realms is you, Christian, you follower of Jesus, have been united to Christ. You are one with him. 
And from this union with Christ, every good and profitable and lovely and praiseworthy and righteous thing flows, including a new heart. See, Jesus fulfills the promise made by God through the inspired prophet Ezekiel when Ezekiel said, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, in Christ, because of the wisdom of God seen in the crucifixion of his son, we are able, Christian, follower of Jesus, we are able to live out this righteous vision painted for us in Proverbs. And how do you know that, Mr. Guest Speaker? Like, how, how do you know this is actually true? I promise I'll drop that language from here on out. <laughs> How do you know that's actually true? Is, is there any evidence of this? I'm so glad you asked. The Bible, the New Testament, is filled with this new ethic, this new righteous ethic, transforming the people of God. These spirit-filled followers of Jesus, now one with Christ, have been transformed. And spirit-filled followers of Jesus cannot help but give of themselves in order to serve another person, in order to serve another people. Look at Acts 2.44-45 with me. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Rational people do not do this. We keep our stuff and we build our stuff because the one with the most stuff wins, right? Here we have a new people with new hearts, with a new spirit ethic in them that is transforming the way that they engage with one another. Not only do we see this from believer to believer, we see this from whole churches to churches, whole communities to communities. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means... Of their own accord. Church is changing. People are changing. This new ethic of righteousness is, 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 is running through them. We, we see husbands disadvantaging themselves for the sake of their wives. Paul uh, again writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See this this morning. There is not a relationship, there is not a household, there is not a place of business that is not radically transformed when a spirit-filled follower of Jesus is there. None. Nothing is safe. Everything will, will, will be upended. It will all be turned upside down. Of People and whole communities giving of themselves, disadvantaging themselves in order to advantage the other or the others. See, a follower of Jesus... Walking the path of righteousness made possible by Jesus, paved by Jesus, is, is no longer asking, uh, what's in it for me? What, what can I get, right? I come on Sunday, get my coffee. Like, what other tricks you guys got in store for me? You know, I get a good kids ministry. Okay, okay, that's doing a little bit better. Okay, okay. Right, like, what's in it for me? The call to follow Jesus is a call to crucify your consumer mentality. It's a call to give of yourself self-sacrificially. This is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus in the early church. At the heart of what it means to follow Jesus today in Vancouver and Port Coquitlam and Coquitlam and beyond. A follower of Jesus, walking the path of righteousness that Jesus paved, isn't wondering what they can get away with before they get caught or before someone else find, finds out. 
isn't wondering how they can achieve uh, their intended result with the least work on their end. The follower of Jesus is no longer keeping score. Tallies of rights and wrong fade to irrelevance as we behold the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. See, that is exactly what we are to do. We are to look at the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf, and that is what we're to meditate upon him and to learn from him. If you're wondering this morning what the application is uh, to this text, uh, we find it in Philippians 2. And at this point in the sermon, Philippians 2 uh, should sound very familiar to us. Paul writes in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It sounds a lot like righteousness in Proverbs, doesn't it? But instead of leaving us wondering how we could ever do this, instead of leaving us without hope, having the fine comb sort of raked over us and we're just cringing and uncomfortable, no, we're immediately, in Philippians 2, we're immediately let in on the secret. Paul writes this in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, and he says this, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, brothers and sisters, it is already yours. A new heart to love sacrificially is already, it's already yours. A new mind to think sacrificially, it's already yours in Christ Jesus. New hands and feet to serve and give sacrificially, it is already yours in Christ Jesus. You have and we have everything we need today to live righteously. There is no initial training to complete, no book that first needs to be read, uh, no level to which you need to attain. Right now, today, follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to begin disadvantaging yourself in order to advantage uh, the other. See, this ability to live righteously comes to us like every good and lasting thing in this life as a gift. It comes to us as a gift. Listen once more to what Waltke has to say. Let the church look to the triune God from whom every good and perfect gift comes, including the gift to give one's life to serve others. It is a gift to give your life to serve others. It is a gift made possible truly and entirely through the person and work of Jesus. If we're going to be these righteous people, people who disadvantage themselves in order to advantage others, it will not be because you follow the example of some guru, someone who's already made it. It will not be because our churches repeat over and over again that this is important and, and, and you really ought to do this and, and it's meaningful. No, that's not how it's going to get done. It will be because that we grab hold of the mind and the heart that is rightfully ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Our righteous living begins and ends with Jesus. Not a better program, not a better system, 
not a new way of thinking about it. It begins and ends with the person and work of Jesus because it is Jesus who is being formed in us. It is Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. It is Jesus who rose to new life and gives us new life today. It is Jesus who transforms our hearts. It is Jesus who is coming again to restore all things to righteousness. Would you join me in praying? Jesus, we turn our eyes to you now and we confess the ways in which we have not uh, lived righteously. In in fact, the ways in which we've lived quite wickedly. The ways in which we've thought to uh, advantage ourselves uh, to the cost of someone else. Lord, we thank you uh, that your word tells us that if we confess our sin, uh, that you will forgive our sin, that you're faithful and just to do that. And so, Lord, uh, we, we walk in the freedom of that this morning. We ask now that we would uh, be filled with your spirit as we leave this place, to be people who not only live wisely and think wisely, but also people who live righteously, uh, wherever we are, whether it's in Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam or, or, or wherever, Port Moody or Maple Ridge, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, would we live righteously like this? Would you empower us to that by your spirit? Uh, we are dependent upon you. We, we, we need you. Yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.